You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Peter Newman. I'm Jessica Strauss. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, very well, Jess. How about you? I'm good. And today we're going to be focusing on dry sowing. And a lot of parts of the country have been quite dry, so people are finding that they're going to have to seed without having a rainfall. Pete, are you finding that lots of people are dry sowing and maybe people who may have not dry sown before in your area? Well, dry seeding has been a real common theme for about the past 10 years or a bit more, Jess, and growers have just gotten more and more confident with it from what I can gather in Western Australia anyway. And so, yeah, dry seeding is the new black, Jess. Uh, If it hasn't rained, they, they just generally keep on seeding and the thing about this year in Western Australia is for most people it was genuinely dry so half wet half dry is you know is hard work you're not sure whether you should be seeding or not but when it is bone dry people just go and they keep going these days until till they're finished which you know has paid off in the past and uh, hopefully it'll pay off again this year. And you had a chat with Ray Harrington about how he is going to be dry seeding this year. Can you give us a little bit of detail on, on what he is doing this year? Yeah, Ray called me at 7 o'clock this morning when I was cooking my porridge <laughs> to tell me that he is putting his 55th crop in and it's the first time ever in quartering. So for the listeners, quartering is southwest of WA. It's high rainfall, traditionally sheep country. So a wet part of the state, he said this is the first time ever they will see the whole program completely dry. So, yeah, it is dry, but, I mean, they've had late breaks before, but when they had them years ago, they wouldn't have started seeding yet, you know, so they'd be halfway through seeding when they got the end of May break in many years gone by. And his comment was that he only feels that he can do it because he's using harvest weed seed control and he's just got that confidence because he's going into such a low seed bank that... They have the confidence to seed right through and seed the whole crop dry. Yeah, awesome. Well, that is really good feedback. And, yeah, another positive for Harvest Weed Seed Control there as well with those comments. Now, we are going to hear from Jeff Fosbury, or Foz, as many people would know him as. He's an agronomist based at Consult Ag in Dongara, and he's going to give us a little bit of detail on dry sowing and how to be successful doing it. And then a little bit later, we're going to hear from WA farmer Kit Leake on his dry sowing program this year. Can you tell us a little bit about Foz? You got any stories about him, Pete, before oh, we go into the interview? I've got stories about Foz, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't share them with all the listeners, but no, obviously great guy. Foz, hardworking private agronomist for a long time. He and I both started our careers in the same office in the Three Springs Ag Department where some of the uh, greats of Australian <laughs> agriculture <laughs> came from. Yeah, but he was a few years ahead of me, of course. But yeah, Foz uh, yeah, has done a lot of work in the Central Wheat Belt now, living the sea change life in Dongra and travelling a lot. And a little bit like what Ray Harrington said in the interview, he talks about preparation. So preparation 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 having everything set up so you've got that low seed bank so that you can confidently dry sow yes definitely so shall we get into the interview and hear what Foz has to say Pete let's do it I'm chatting with Jeff Fosbury he's a consult ag agronomist based in Western Australia in Dongra first of all how you going Jeff very well thanks Jeff very well indeed Thanks for joining us. Now we're going to talk about dry sowing, but first of all, can you just give us a little bit of an insight into how the seeding season is going so far in your part of the world? 
Yeah, well, 99% of places are dry sowing at the moment. Uh, the average breaks around the third week of May. So we're still looking into the average season predictably down the track. So uh, at the moment, everyone will be dry sowing, just deciding the last 10 or 15% whether that keeps going or not. Yeah, sure. And so when you are dry sowing, what requirements does a program need to be successful? Uh, really, it's uh, prior preparation prevents problems occurring. So uh, what we've got to do is make sure that in the previous years uh, that we've uh, prepared the paddocks very well as far as weeds and nutrition and disease controls concerned. There was a survey done by Bank Western Plan Farm and uh, over a five-year period, the top 10% most profitable farmers actually targeted having 40% of their wheat and cereal program in general be able to be sown dry without any headaches at all. So it's a big thing. The prior preparation is what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. And people are getting on board with Harvest Weed Seed Control, especially in the West now. How has Harvest Weed Seed Control impacted weed numbers at sowing time? It's part of the the tools in the toolbox for weed control. It's an important one. And uh, if you look at the data around the place for radish and ryegrass in particular, you're looking at between 60 and 80%. Well, with ryegrass, around 60% improvement in control of seed set at harvest time. And with radish, it's up around 80% plus. So for those particular weeds, very good. In the case of uh, barley grass and uh, brome grass, not so much because they tend to shed a lot earlier than we get the headers into the paddock uh, to get the, the uh, seed into the windrow to burn or... Uh, Line or chaff deck. Yeah, sure. And so, what are some of the different chemicals which can be used when you're dry sowing to manage those weeds? Well, the sort of thing that we're looking at is they're not different, it's just you've got to be aware of how the strengths and weaknesses. Um, this work done previously by David Minky to show that you know, trifluralin on dry soil, uh, its efficacy will run down at about 10% a week for each week it's out on dry soils. So, those places where where the forecasters are pretty poor at forecasting rain, but they're pretty good at forecasting dry spells. So some of the data around the place can go out two weeks and tell you it's going to be dry for two weeks at least. Yeah. So And they're pretty right. So in those sorts of cases, with products like Trifluralin that decrease in efficacy when it does get applied at about 10% a week. If you're targeting a um, two-litre rate when the crop's going to germinate, then I'd usually increase the uh, rate up towards between two and a half and three litres to make sure you've got enough chemical in the ground at germination to give you reasonable control of the ryegrass. With Sakura and Box of Gold, they're uh, a lot better. Their breakdown rates are two and a half to five percent a week, so they've got a bit more fat in the system. They tend to last, well, Sakura in particular lasts quite a bit longer once it does rain in the soil and has uh, greater longevity and control for later germinating ryegrass and suppression of other weeds as well. So there's swings and roundabouts, be wary of the trifluralin effect or the rate of breakdown, just be aware that you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, certainly. And what impact has cleaner paddocks had on crop sequencing? Has there been any shift there with less weeds at the start of sowing compared to previous years? Yeah, it's all part of the high preparation preventing poor performance, so it gives you greater flexibility in the rotation and allows you to play the season a lot more. So a lot of guys are, have been deciding whether they need to keep going on bigger areas, on, on the area of canola. A lot of those decisions have already been made. Some people have pulled back a bit. Some others have 
decided to keep going on some of their weedier paddocks, preferring to think about the next few years and cleaning up the paddock for 2019 and 20. But those paddocks that are pretty clean now, that allows them to drop back to a safer crop, as in wheat or barley, depending on where you are, and uh, they can put up with a shorter season and still give reasonable profits. Excellent. And do you have any other tips around dry sowing that you'd like to share with listeners, Jeff? Bottom line is, I like to uh, think about the future as well. And uh, you should, in some cases, I did the other day, in fact, with a particular client, we were going to spend a few more bucks, not for this year, but because we'd prepared the paddock over the last few years using canola and lupins to clean up the paddock, we're actually going to go for spending a few more bucks this year that probably won't give us a return in 2018, but it will in 2019 and 20 to give us more flexibility. If we have another dry start like this year, then gives us an ability to uh, have more flexibility in 2019 and 20, which I think is a big business plus. Yeah, definitely. You've got to look into the future. You can't always be just focusing on the present day. Um, well, thank you so much, Jeff. Really appreciate your insights. And with many people dry sewing, I'm sure they really appreciate some of those tips just to make sure they're on the right track. So thank you for your time. Thanks very much, Jessica. Thank you very much to Jeff Fosbury, or Foz, as he is also commonly known as, for that interview and giving us some great insights into dry sewing. And Pete, he did mention quite a lot of detail in a very concise way of how to get dry sewing right, but getting herbicides right can be a bit tricky. Can you give us a little bit more of an insight into that? He was very efficient with his words, wasn't he? That yeah. was a short interview. <laughs> but I really loved his rules of thumb about trifluralin decay and Sakura and Box of Gold decay, so... Trifluralin decay at about 10% per week from the work that Dave Minky from Watford did is is a great rule of thumb, I think, and probably not something that we had on the radar a few years ago and didn't really know what that decay was. So uh, if I was talking about if you're dry sowing and you know that it's going to be dry for a while, then you know bank on putting a bit more trifluralin down if that's the herbicide that you are using to allow for that 10% per week decay. I, I thought that was great insight. Yeah, thank you very much to him again and very helpful tips there. It's good to be on top of the best practice for it so you can have a successful program. And someone who is doing very well over many decades at uh, getting it right, most of the time anyway, is Kit Leek and he's a farmer based in WA and we're going to hear from him next, Pete, but uh, he has some uh, good insights into how he's run his program over many years. Do you have any things you'd like to highlight before we jump into that interview about Kit's uh, experience with dry sowing? Well, it's a similar story for a lot of growers, I think you'll find. Back in the day, we had Peter Nelson up here, the guru of lupins, and he and others developed this lupin dry sowing package. And the reason you could do it was because we had herbicides that would work, simazine, pre, and then your grass sprays post. So they developed the dry sowing lupins, and as Kit said, that's where they started a long time ago. And then in the last sort of decade or so, uh, dry sowing of everything has become more and more the norm. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of farmers in Western Australia particularly that would have a similar story and, yeah, just interesting to hear Kit's take on it. All right, let's take a listen. I'm chatting with Kit Leek. He's a farmer out of Keller Barron and Bruce Rock. And we're going to find a little bit more about how he approaches dry sowing. But firstly, how are you going, Kit? Good, thanks, Jess. Yeah. Really appreciate you being on the line today. So, first of all, how long has dry sowing been practised on your farm? Well, we first planted 
lupins in 1981 and we planted them dry, so that's 37 years ago. And we did it dry because sort of the pioneers of lupins further north had found that that was a suitable practice. So that was the first time we'd said anything dry, yep. Yeah, right. And when it comes to timing around dry seeding, do you have a particular set date that you do it or does it just depend on the season? Well, it does depend on the season, uh, but using this year as a classic where uh, we hadn't had any summer rain of any consequence, so there was no uh, if or but about some moisture, not enough moisture, and we're quite happy for the canola to germinate on the 1st of April, and so when seven days out from the 1st of April, we could see wasn't going to rain between that day, which was that 23rd of March, so we started seeding our canola then. Yeah. Aimed to finish by the 1st of April in case it did rain. I'm of the opinion that in spite of it being a risk, you're far better off having that crop in before the rain. And if you get 10 mils of rain, uh, it's better off being in rather than trying to seed it on that moisture and drying it out. So that's a policy that we've adopted over the years of learning about dry seeding. Ironically, the previous four seasons, we really didn't seed anything dry because we'd had wet summers and and then timely rains. So sort of did the whole crop moist, which hadn't become our practice at all just because of opportunities. We just then, when the canola's done, well, it's not too early for lupins to be germinating or not far off. And so we just carried on with, carried on with the lupins and then wouldn't matter if... It was 18th of April and uh, no rain in sight. We'd start seeding cereals. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. Are there any parts of your farm that you won't dry seed? No. Uh, we've been total, total cropping for 12 years now and the property in Breastrock, I think, is even longer. And because of that and no livestock, the soil, some of the heavy countries, tight and lumpy, but you, you, as long as you're covering the seed, that's all the objective is in dry seeding. You don't have to be digging it deep, but you must must cover the seed, and that's simple enough in a continuous crop situation. Yeah, sure. So uh, you don't have too much trouble then with dry sowing when it comes to the ground and it being too hard for you to get the seeds in the ground? No, no not at all. No. Okay, well, that's good to hear. But certainly people do if they have a pasture in rotation, paddock swing and pasture for a couple of years, uh, and depending on the soil type, they're often practically impregnable until it's wet or it's just too hard for a machine to physically do it. Yep, so that's that's our situation. It's different for um, people that have got livestock, for sure. Yeah, sure. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but in terms of dry seeding when you've had no summer rain at all, over the years, what's your approach been when it comes to dry seeding if you've just had no rain over the summer period? This year's a classic. We haven't, and our approach is just to keep on putting the crop in. And has that been the approach for quite a while? Oh, yeah. Well, it has probably, I would say, at least a dozen years ago once we got confident in the dry seeding. But ironically, I think it, at home, at Calabaran, it looks like they will have done their whole program dry. We actually had 12 mils of rain nearly three weeks ago, and so we had some moisture to work hard with for a while. The farms I've been involved in, we've never actually put the whole program in dry. It's always been a rain in amongst that or rain just as you're finishing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it looks like uh, North of Calabarian, they, they, they won't, they'll, they'll finish next week and there's not rain in sight, so the whole program will have been put in dry. 
Okay, cool. And do you always start, you touched on it just earlier, but do you always start with the same crop when you're dry seeding or has there been years where you've started on a different crop type? Um, uh, <clears throat> um, we've been growing canola practically forever now and canola is always the first one to put in and uh, then lupins is sort of obvious. So there's no reason why we would change that because canola can be put in earlier than cereals, so can lupins. And we want to get the crops in at the best time for them, so we, we don't alter that. I might be contradicting on some moisture situation, but I can't see why that would ever be any different. And are there parts of the farm that you would start on first, depending on seasonal conditions? Uh, no, it'll be just the rotation. So we'll, we will start where the canola's going in. Okay. Yep. So, so that's, yep, there's not a soil type decision, or it's just the rotation that dictates where we start. Yeah, sure. And in terms of cut-off dates, do you have any cut-off dates for the crops that you put in, any for canola or other break crops? No, we don't. If we've been delayed, you know, because of marginal moisture, we're a bit weary of, of it being half dry, half wet, which is something that's not satisfactory for seeding, certainly canola and lupins. So we might be delayed, but they've got the preference. And when the, when the conditions are right, either it's got drier or, or wetter, or it's got in our opinion, got closer to the break of the season, so it's not at risk for as long. You know, we got a goal of the, of the, the crops in by the 20th of May, and that can be in dry by then, and if it rains on the 21st, that's great. And if we're aiming for the 20th of May and it's rain on the 10th, well, that's all good. Yeah. It, it, we're in, a, uh, in the um, medium regions where we got confidence that we're going to get some sort of crop. It's easy for me to have this positive about dry seeding, but the people in the more marginal area are sometimes aware that they're going to spend a lot of money and they've got no moisture in the ground and sort of can hesitate and spending a lot of money and perhaps it's not the season not coming to anything. But if the crop's in, uh, in this sort of time frame I'm talking about, and there's 10 mils of rain, in my experience, that can't go wrong. You know, it can, but everything you do can be compromised or as a gamble, that's farming. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And what about your approach to weed control and dry seeding? Can you give us some insights into how you approach your weed control? Yep. Well, we, you know, any of the pre-emergents that we regularly use, like trifluron or atrazine or Secura and Diuron, we, we just use them as we would if it was wet, uh, knowing that they will last until the, until the soil gets moist. And so we don't change attitude. We know we haven't had a knockdown, you know, when we dry seeding, but that's part of the game. The crop will come up with the, with the weeds, actually, if something like barley grass and it gets a jump on the crop and uh, there's been a good germination, we can go out there with some gramoxone just before the crop emerges or just as it is, as a means. But I've never found a dry sown paddock and gone, that's just a disaster. We should have waited for weeds. In my time, I've given up waiting for weeds. You have a, have a rainfall event, think, oh, well, I'll wait nine days to get that weed target and get rid of those weeds. And by the time it, you get to nine days, either the weeds are under moisture stress or, or the ground has dried out or you've just wasted a lot of seeding opportunity. So I have waited for weeds in my career and I never will now. But the last four years, we've had good knockdowns, uh, often with a double knock. So... There's a rotation there depending on the seasons and probably if we were dry sowing every year and 
how weed numbers are building up, we have to reassess, but I think it'll be more higher seeding rate, you know, we're using half of harvest weed seed control. You know, and there's a funny thing, you know, you've got weedy paddocks and non-weedy paddocks with dry seeding, it's irrelevant. You know, I was sometimes wondering in a moist situation, good conditions, you might be better off seeding your weediest paddock first because the crop will be most energetic then. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so. And you've mentioned quite a few tools that you use to keep your weed seed bank low, which is something we discuss on Weed Smart platforms a lot. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what level your weed seed bank is on your farm and what impact it has on, I guess, just your management around dry sowing time? Well, on the Calabaran farm, we've had to fight radish over time, but now the radish is at a point where we just but very low numbers, we have to keep on top of it, so that's quite manageable. Ryegrass has a habit of now and again getting out of hand, sometimes unexplained, but really struggles to ever yield affecting. But if we've got that problem, we, we might treat things a bit bit different, you know, do a complete burn or, you know, we're always doing harvest weed seed control. And this property that we get leasing in Bruce Rock, there's a lot of late germinated Rome grass from last season and in the lupins and canola that will be managed easily and in, in the wheat crop we'll have to keep an eye on that but there's post emergent sprays we can use for that and in the barley same story so I'm not concerned I know we've got paddocks or we've had paddocks that probably were dry sown something like eight years in a row and you didn't go well we've just got to stop doing this we, we Yeah, I think so. And so it sounds like dry sowing has paid off for you, but I'll ask the question, has dry sowing paid off for you in the past compared to waiting for rain? Definitely, there's no way I can seriously do a comparison, but when I first started cropping 45 years ago, we basically waited for the break of the season, which was going to be about 20 mils anywhere from the 10th of May to the 25th of May, and we would plough work back and seed and we'd get a reasonable crop. Well, the break of the season just doesn't sort of happen now. So we've been able to adapt to what's been happening. Uh, our cropping average is stepping up steadily, uh, solving our acidity, uh, nutrients, and we've got to get the crop in early. We know there's always this talk of what about frost. Well, I've been hit badly by frost, but I'm never farmed to and ironically, two years ago, our most worst affected frost was the last sowing. So if we delayed seeding for frost, probably we lost more crop. Uh, another time, it was frost affected was on grey clay. You can see 40 kilometres away, and it was barley. So it's high in the environment's dark coloured soil, and it was barley. So we just go for giving the crop the best opportunity to yield and. This year at Bruce Rock, we sort of got eggs all in one basket in a way. There's not much wheat will have germinated on that bit of moisture we had as we did the barley first. But And we've got one variety of wheat that when it does rain, that will mean it's probably all going to be flowering on the same day and that could be a disaster. But normally um, we would use three varieties of wheat dry seeding. So when it all comes up, it is actually at different stages, uh, which is spreading your risk. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Well, all the best for the growing season. Hopefully it all pans out in your favour. We really appreciate your insights into dry sewing kit. Thank you, Jess. It's a pleasure. And we'll just look forward to the rain coming along fairly soon and everything will be good. It's not too late yet, but it's just a bit unsettling that there's no chance of rain in sight. But uh, it will rain after this dry spell. Yeah, hopefully it will all turn around. Thanks so much, Kit. All the best. Thank you very much to farmer Kit Leek there. Really appreciate him spending a little bit of time telling us about his dry sowing program this year and giving us some insights into how he's farmed over the last couple of decades, really, Pete. Was there anything in particular that stood out for you that you'd like to focus on at the end of uh, the chat with Kit there? Oh, it's just a well-thought-out dry sowing strategy, wasn't it? He had his trigger dates for his different crops and... If there was no rain by then, they kept going, and he keeps going till it's all done in that continuous crop system. He also is into preparation, harvest weed, seed control, and other things to have the low seed bank. And I guess Kit has a sequence of crops. I think he went canola, then lupins, and then his cereals after that. Um, that ranges a bit between growers. A lot of people are on a similar thing, but others might think, no, canola's too risky where I am. I might just um, sow other crops and then wait and see when the season break is because some people don't want late germinating canola. So there's a bit of a range of um, opinions out there as to what the right crop sequence is. But, yeah, Kit's obviously got a well-thought-out strategy and it's paid off for him in the past. Yeah, definitely. Well, that just about sums up our dry sowing focus for this podcast. I'd like to just remind listeners uh, again that we will be getting the details about Weed Smart Week in Narrabri out to you in the coming days. So keep an eye out on your inbox for the Weed Smart uh, newsletter. And yeah, lots of exciting things happening. Very busy time ahead for us at Weed Smart, isn't it, Pete? Yep, certainly is, Jess. Lots of planned activities, a couple of uh, webinars coming up, hopefully in the first week of June as well about harvest weed seed control. We might take a look at the mills and also about grazing uh, chaff dumps. Talk to Ed Riggle about what he's found with uh, how the sheep perform grazing on chaff dumps. Excellent. Yes, very good content to be on the lookout for. So thank you again, Pete, and thanks to Jeff Osbury and Kit Leek for sharing their insights for the podcast this week. We really appreciate it. But that that's about it. Thanks very much. My pleasure, Jess. And look, the first glimmer of hope of a break of season in Western Australia is on the weather models today for about a couple of weeks' time. So fingers crossed. Oh, excellent. That's good news. All right. Until next time. Bye.